Uh, my name is Tommy. If I haven't met you, I'm the pastor here. And today we start our Christmas series. <sighs> Christmas. Do y'all like Christmas? What's your favorite Christmas movie? No, I'll say it at once. One, two, three. So many people were wrong. Elf is the answer. Elf is always the answer. Four Christmases is funny, but Elf is always the answer. Um, so today we start our Christmas series, and we're calling this one, oh, there it is. We're calling this one A Resounding Christmas. And I got to give Danny cred for the name. And so we, we were in our meeting, and she came up with the name, and I acted like I liked it. Then later on, I Googled it to figure out what it meant. And then I was like, man, I really like this. So let me tell you guys what resounding means, because there's basically two, two definitions around resounding. And the first one means unmistakable. So uh, resounding, so like, for instance, the student uh, uh, Friendsgiving was a resounding success. That means it was unmistakably successful. So that's one meaning of resounding. The second meaning of resounding means it reverberates, it echoes. So for instance, if I shoot a rifle here, it resounds over, yeah, right? I mean, what happens here carries over there. So resounding, if you take those two words, it means it's unmistakable and it echoes throughout. So it's a sound that starts here and we say, oh man, that's perfect for our Christmas series. Because I believe that is exactly what should be happening in our hearts as we prepare ourselves for Christmas. There should be an unmistakable change in us. When people see us, it should be unmistakable that we are Jesus people. That's why everything we do here will point to Jesus. We do our best in this place to make sure there is never, ever a production that distracts from Jesus. We always want Jesus to be the hero. He is the main show. He is everything going on here. And so Jesus is what we're going to talk about. Everything's pointing. Everything we do is going to point to Jesus. But we also want there to be an echo. What happens in here should reverberate out there, should resound out there. There's a story in the Bible I don't remember exactly where it is. One of y'all who knows the Bible better than me might know. But the disciples are out there, and, and uh, the, these, these guys say, well, it was clear that they were ordinary, unschooled men. But it was also clear that they had been with Jesus. And I just think that is so cool. Like, wherever we go, it should be clear that we have been with Jesus. So my hope is that what's happening in here is unmistakable out there. And it echoes that we have indeed been with Jesus. All right, y'all with me? Yes. Fantastic. That's y'all's voice in my head. Yes. Um, and so one of the unmistakable marks of Christmas time is Christmas music, right? I mean, when you think Christmas, you know it's almost Christmas because you start hearing Christmas music. And there's basically two camps, or so I thought, there's two camps for Christmas music. And this is Tommy confession time a little bit. The first camp is the camp I fall into where, like, I like Christmas music, but it doesn't always have the exact same effect on me that some other songs we sing in church have. Like it doesn't, Christmas music doesn't always move my soul. Like if, if I hear How Great Is Our God, no matter where I am for the rest of my life, there will be something in that song that just connects me to Jesus. And Christmas music doesn't always do that with me because sometimes when I hear a Christmas, by the way, who else is in my camp on this? Anybody? Wow, y'all are so much more honest than the nine o'clock. Y'all haven't learned to play church yet in this one. I like that. So, like, when I hear Christmas music, sometimes I don't think about Jesus. I think about, like, nostalgia, memories. Like, I'm hearing a Christmas, and I'm thinking, like, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost knitting, or whatever. 
I'm not thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about some Christmas memory. And so I want to think about Jesus when I hear Christmas music. So part of the reason we're doing this is so when I hear a Christmas song, instead of me thinking about chestnuts roasting on an open fire, which I don't know, I want to think about Jesus. Now, some of you guys are in the camp where you love Christmas music. Raise your hand if you're in the camp where you love Christmas music. What do the rest of y'all do for fun? I'm curious. <laughs> y'all know this is church, right? We do Christmas here. It's kind of one of those things we participate in. There's two of them. This is one. Like, I mean, some of you love it, though. Like, you cannot wait. You decorated your house at Halloween. You, you, you're fired up. It's pumping in your car. Like, Christmas, you're at church today because you think we might like Christmas music. And so for you, this is going to be, you're going to love it because we're going to sing a lot of Christmas music over the next few weeks. But wherever you are on this spectrum, and most of us, if we're honest, fall someplace in the middle of it or somewhere, I want Christmas music to have meaning again. And so we're going to, we're going to take some songs and we're going to use them to help us better understand the Christmas story. And then my hope is when you hear these songs in public, instead of thinking about chestnuts or Walmart sales or whatever, you're going to think about Jesus. All right? So today's song is my favorite song. Would anyone like to guess what it is? My favorite Christmas song. Just throw a guess out. It's okay. Jingle bells? No. <laughs> at, the, at the first gathering, they guessed, uh, what was the, it was the Elsa song. Yeah, do you want to build a snowman? I was like, what? I was like... I mean, I like that one, but it's not my favorite. We finish each other's sandwiches. Um, what's my favorite Christmas song? Drummer Boy. Yes. Drummer Boy. That is my favorite Christmas song. And this is the reason it's my favorite. Read the words of this song. A newborn king to see. By the way, these are words taken out, you know, just mixed together. This is not the order of the song. A newborn king to see. Our finest gifts we bring. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give a king. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. I love this song. So let's start today by going to the part of the Bible where we find the drummer boy. So just hold on. I know it's in here somewhere. I've been singing this song my whole life in church, so I know there must be... Okay. The drummer boy's not in the Bible. But I thought he was, right? There's the shepherds. The wise men. But then think about the nativity. There's some goats. There's Jesus, uh, Joseph, Mary, drummer boy, Bubba Fat, Yoda, um, that one dude I knew in high school. No, there's no drummer boy in the nativity. So as, as I was putting this message together, I was like, hold on, I've sang this song in church my whole life. There has to be a reason that we're singing about the drummer boy in church. And so I started to do some research. Does anyone know what a drummer boy is? What they actually did? They were in the Civil War, right? And so what a drummer boy would do in the Civil War is drummer boys would get on the front line and they would play a drum and that would signal the troops what they were going to do when. Okay, so the, the drummer boy was on the front line of battle. They were the very first ones in the battle, and they were the very last ones to leave. And so they died all... Y'all remember how they fought in the Civil War? It wasn't like a drummer boy was camouflaged hiding behind a rock. They're just standing there going, all right, we're going to shoot now, and then y'all shoot back. <laughs> like, what? And so... Drummer boys died, and they were like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And I read that drummer boys got the Medal of Honor on a regular basis because they were the first into the battle. And after the battle was over, it was their job to clean up the dead bodies. 
Drummer boy was not a glorious job. It was a humble job. It was a job that required like childlike faith. You had to blind obedience. I mean, what the drummer boys did was selfless and beautiful, and they thought that the whole was more important than the part, and so they gave their lives for something that they believed was more important than self. And so the author of the song Drummer Boy must have just thought to themselves, I wonder what a drummer boy would do if they came to Jesus. I wonder what a drummer boy, I see the way they live their life over here. And I see that they give their best. And I see that they're humble. And I see that they will lay down their lives. So it only makes sense that if that's the way the drummer boy is over here, if that's the way they are on their job and with their family, that when a drummer boy meets Jesus, the drummer boy will come humbly. And the drummer boy will offer their best. I played my best for you. No gift worthy of the king. But I gave my best to you. And that makes sense, right? Because that's the way a drummer boy approaches life. So now let's apply this to our lives. Um, in, the, in the book of John, in the, John's letter, it says that Jesus came full of two things. Does anyone know what Jesus came full of? He came full, 100% of two things. What are they? Just shout it out. Grace and truth. Grace and, truth. and so I want to approach this message today full of grace and full of truth. And so I want to start off with the truth because I'd rather end with the grace um, because that way you won't leave as mad at me as you may leave if I did it the other way. And I care. <laughs> and now in general, I think it's better to approach things with grace and then truth and then grace. It's called the sandwich. You ever heard the sandwich technique? But today we're just going to go grace, I mean truth and then, and then grace. So here, here's, here's what I was thinking as I thought about what was obvious about the drummer boy that the way he approached his life over here would also be the way he approached Jesus. What's obvious about the drummer boy is not always obvious about us. And here's the truth. Sometimes the way we approach our lives over here, the passion, the energy, our willingness to give our best, doesn't seem to equal the way we approach Jesus. It doesn't seem to be the way we approach Sunday. It doesn't seem to be the way we approach Christmas. As a matter of fact, that there are people in this room right now and guys, I'm preaching to myself, okay? So before you know he's preaching, no, this is me. I, I promise you I was as convicted as anyone in this room will be when I wrote this message this week. I cried writing it, I cried delivering it, I may cry again. But there, there are people in this room, we approach our jobs with great passion. And if someone saw you at your job, they would say, man, they approach their job with all their heart and all their passion. They are incredible, like they give and they work countless hours. And there are people in this room who are incredible parents. You approach your family with great passion. You, give every, you make sure your family is provided for. You lay down your life to provide a safe place. And if someone saw the way you parented, they would say, oh my gosh, they bring their best to their family. And there's some of us who approach our hobbies with great passion. We love to kill animals. And like, I'm one of them. I know. That's why I got my eyes shut. Like, we love it. We have the coolest hunting gear. We're passionate about it. We spend hours upon hours upon hours planning to kill an animal that is unarmed. Am I right? This is what we do. How can I plan to kill this guy? Well, he's got no gun. So, but this is what we do because we're passionate about it. The problem that I've seen in my life is the passion that I have in, in parenting and being in family and my job and my hobby. Then I come to church. And when people see me over there, they should expect me to be something over here that I'm not. 
Because I don't give Jesus my best. I don't bring my best to him. I bring my best over here. But when it comes to my relationship with God, it doesn't seem to be my best. A newborn king to see, our finest gifts we bring. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give a king. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. But is that your song when it comes to Jesus? Malachi 1, I, I, th- I, think, I think we need to be honest about how God feels about this before we can get to the grace. We need to be honest about how God feels about us not bringing our best. And I, I want to say this. In this passage in Malachi, God is talking to priests, people who've been in church for a long time, people who should know better, people who've been doing this thing. So if you're new, then th- this does not apply to you, but there will be a day when it does, and you should know that. There will be a day when God asks you to bring your best. But if you've been doing church for a while and you haven't grown past infant Christianity, then I believe you may need a little conviction from this today. And that's okay. And so we're going to get, Mal- we get Malachi out about once a year around Christmas. Then we put him back in the box with the other children of the corn. But today he's coming out, Malachi, <laughs> Malachi 1.6. It says, a son honors, this is God speaking through Malachi. He says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital, that means Yahweh. Says the Lord Almighty. Is it you priests who show contempt for my name? But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Okay, so what God is saying here is, a son honors his father. And this is not a passage justifying slavery. The Bible doesn't do that. If you read it, you will see. But Malachi is talking to a people in a place in a time, and he's saying, slaves honor their masters. That's the way it was. And sons honor their fathers. As a matter of fact, if a son didn't honor his father, he was stoned to death. He said, that's the way the world is. He said, but how come you don't honor me? How come you call me Lord? Lord, Lord, you call me Lord, but you dishonor me. And and the people said, well, how are we dishonoring you? And the verse continues in verse 7. By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious with us with such offering from your hands that he will accept you. So what's God saying? When you offer me leftovers, you dishonor me. When you bring me things that you don't want, you dishonor me. When you do not bring me your best you do not honor me and I do not accept your offering. And I feel like that should sting for just a minute. So let it sit for just a minute. Let the tension of what God is saying right there hurt just a little bit. He says, you wouldn't even bring this to your governor. And I promise you the people back then did not like their governor. Like you think y'all don't like politicians. They did not like politicians. He said, you wouldn't even bring that to your governor. But you bring that to me, and listen to how it ends. Oh, this is, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you. When I read that this week, my heart broke a little bit. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. 
My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, and every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. He said, I almost wish you would shut down the temple instead of bringing me half-hearted offerings, because I'm not pleased with this. I'm not pleased with this. I'm not pleased with your half-hearted worship. I'm not pleased with your half-hearted gifts. I'm not pleased with your half-hearted attention span. And we live in a world where we think just showing up, but this isn't upward basketball. You don't get the trophy just for showing up. It matters what we bring to God. He cares. It says it. He says, I care. Too often I feel like my song goes something like this. I gave my rest to you. I gave my leftovers to you. I gave whatever I didn't want after I had everything else to you. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Maybe that's your song too in some, some days if you're honest. And I think we do ourselves a disservice by acting like God is happy with half-hearted offerings. The drummer boy played his best for God. He played his best for God. And I think there's probably some days when the drummer boy plays his best because he is in that place with God. Like you ever been in that place with God where it was easy to give God your best? The days of provision, the days when God is providing, the day when the doctor comes back and says what you want to hear, the day when she comes home, the day when my kid, like there are days when to play your best, you're like, man, you've even got a little pep. That's what it would look like for me if I was a drummer. It would be so good. There are days when I play my best because I'm in the best place with God, and it's easy. And then I think there are probably days when the drummer boy played his best, not because he was feeling it, but because he feared the God who said, you will play your best for me on every day. And so it's not about feelings and emotions. It's about doing your best because God demands it. And we have to get this. And this is hard, and it's challenging, but it appears to be the truth. All right, so the grace. I think we all enjoyed the first half of this message. I feel like you're all nodding your heads. It's hard, isn't it? How do you think I feel when I write this stuff? And I'm sitting alone with God, and God is going, Tommy, do you know how many times you gave a half-hearted message? You know how many times when you just relied on your ability to speak, not my ability to speak through you? You know how many times I told you to bring everything I had to sit alone with God all week and think about this. So if you have to do it for about three minutes, I don't feel bad. It hurts sometimes to think about the truth. But there's grace. And here's the grace. What did God have the drummer boy do? When the drummer boy came to God and gave his best, what did he do? What what, what did the drummer boy do? Anyone? Did he play a glockenspiel? Did he play a xylophone? Did he play a Uzi Wetsy? No, none of those things exist. Those are all just Dr. Seuss words. He played a drum. He was the drummer boy. And when he showed up, he simply did what he was created to do. Could you imagine the drummer boy showed up with the violin? He played the drum. Watch this. Kylie, come up here. Y'all give it up for Kylie. She was super excited about this. When I asked her to be my prop, she was like, oh, I cannot wait. All right, I, I gave Kylie an envelope. Kylie, have you looked in that envelope? No. You promise? Okay, I want you to open the envelope. What's in the envelope? Money. All right, count it. That's Sheridan School District. This may take a second. We'll get there. <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid, I kid. Come on. <laughs> How much? A hundred dollars. 
All right, Kylie has $100, and I gave you that. Will you vouch for that? I handed you that $100. Okay, now I want you to give it to me. Okay, now why are you giving this to me? I told you to. And because it's, who gave it to you? You did. It's yours. Hold on, hold on, hold on. From the mouth of a child, we just heard something that could revolutionize church. You gave it to me, why? Because I told you to and because it was yours. But you had it. Mm -hmm. But I gave it to you. So it belonged to me. So all you did was give me back what was actually mine. Thank you, Kylie. Give it up for Kylie. Y'all see that? Y'all see that? All I asked her for was what I placed in her hand. All God asked us for is what God has placed in our hands. When God says, bring your best to me, he's not asking you to bring $100 if you don't have it. He's not asking you to cook a pie if you can't cook a pie, and some of you shouldn't cook a pie. He's not asking you to sing if you can't sing. He's asking you to bring your best to him of what he has given you. Now, here's the tricky thing. Sometimes you don't know you have it until God asks for it. So if God's asking for it, you got to trust him. But he's asking you to bring that which he has planted in you. I think it's fair that we say yes. And some of you are thinking, I know it, I know it, I know it, because I, I thought this too. Oh, it's a money sermon. No, thank you. <laughs> right? It's a money sermon. All right, and maybe for some of you this should be a money sermon because you've been in church for years and years and years and you have yet to ever bring your best financial gift to God. And so for you, you're right, it's a money sermon. For the rest of you, if, you're, if, you're, if this is stopping at money, then you're getting off way too easy. Listen to what this says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do. And so first time I read that, I was like, so you want me to drink a lot? But I, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's not saying drink a lot. He's saying, whatever you do, do it unto the glory of God. Whatever I have given you, give me your best. Or who's hosting people at their house this, this Christmas? Raise your hand. Raise them high like you like the people you're hosting. Okay, when they show up at your house, give them your best. When, when you make a Christmas meal, do you, do you look at the leftovers from that week? Let's see, honey, what did we cook this week? Well, we've got an old peanut butter and jelly sandwich over here and... There's some, something Caden made. This has green stuff on it. Let's prepare that and give it to our guest. Is that what y'all do for Christmas? No, you, you make your best, don't you? So if you're offering hospitality this Christmas, give your best. If you cook a meal, give your best. If you speak to someone, give your best. If you worship God, give your best. Here, here's, a, here's a cool verse we covered last week. Matthew 25, 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Okay, let's get practical, real practical. We are going to bring toys for kids for this Christmas mall thing. And many of you are going to participate in this. Do not bring your kids' broken leftover toys. Bring your best Bring the best thing. Don't, don't bring, man, we get stuff for homeless people. You know how many times I look in there and I'm pretty sure it's a sock you wore the day before. Ah, don't bring your leftovers for us to serve people. Bring the best of what you have. We, we use a company called Aaron, Aaron's Meals to feed the homeless people. Do you know why we do that? Because it's good food. Because we believe we should feed them what we would feed our own families. And so we pay more to serve better because our God is that good. Bring your best. Don't bring your leftovers. You, you, you want to bring a jacket to help somebody? 
don't bring that one that's been dog's been sleeping on and you when you go to the mall to buy yourself a present buy someone else a jacket and you keep the old one a dog's been sleeping on you want to teach your kids something powerful teach them about that this christmas give your best from whatever your best is And every single person in this room has the power and the potential to unlock a resounding Christmas by simply handing back to God what already belongs to him. Luke 21, this is good right here. And he looked up, and he, I did get that money back from her, didn't I? (laughs) Just making sure. I got it from my dad. I got to give it back to him. Luke 21. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into a treasury. And he also saw a certain widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all of you. For all of these were from their abundance. But she has given out of poverty. She has not given from her overflow. She's given from poverty. She's given from, she's taken what she has and she's offered it to God. She had no gift fit to bring the king, but she played her best for him. And God said, I love that. So let me tell you guys an example of this I've seen in my life. Um, And this is a true story. I promise you guys, I never used chicken soup for the pastor's soul because I think that's weak. Like if I hadn't done it myself, my daughter, uh, his name is Kinley and she's eight and she does something we call Kinley mail. Okay. And uh, raise your hand if you've ever received a piece of Kinley mail in this room. Sherry, Clarissa, Brandy, you've received some. Rachel, Toots, good to see you, my friend. Um, so, Kinley writes mail to people, and it's always a kind, like, encouraging card, and she's always really humble about it because, bless her heart, she got her daddy's ability to spell. And so, like, if you get Kinley mail, there's going to be some work figuring out exactly what it is she's saying. But it's what she does, and, and it's something that God has placed in my daughter, and she shares it freely with other people. And so, we had a buddy, I have a buddy who'd uh, done uh, some time in prison. And for some reason, in my daughter's heart, uh, gosh, I'm going to cry again. She has a real heart for underdogs. She loves people. Like, I remember the first time we took her to serve in the streets. I was wanting to hold her back from hugging strangers. And I realized I can't do that. I have to, I have to, I have to let her do this. Whew, man, it's hard. That's my baby. But she has a heart for underdogs. So I got this buddy who's been in prison. And he comes to our house to stay. And um, the first thing Kinley does is she writes him a little note, and the words are misspelled. And it says, um, I believe in you, we love you, and God is for you. Lowercase g. I didn't correct her theology. <laughs> Lowercase g. She comes to me and she says, do you, do you think your friend will like this? I know I didn't spell, you know, pictures, crude stick drawings. And I was like, yeah, I think you will. So she gives my friend this letter, Okay. Fast forward, my buddy loves it. They, they, they bond, they got a good relationship, good friends. So my buddy goes to a rehab and he's there for a few days and his mind starts to revert back to the streets and he starts thinking, I can't survive in this place for a year. He's gonna be there for a year. And he starts to get that, um, he's, he's an addict. And he starts to get that heroin urge. And if any of you have ever battled addiction, maybe you can relate. Um, if you can't, then learn to empathize. But my buddy is, is battling this urge to go back. And so he figures out a plan to escape. And so he's going to take a vehicle and he's going to leave the camp and he's going to go back to this place where he knows he can get heroin and all this kind of stuff. And so he packs his bag. It's a true story. He packs his bag. He's got his bag ready. 
He's heading out, and as he's leaving, his wallet falls off the table, lands on the ground. He bends down to pick it up, and a little note falls out of the wallet. And the note says, we believe in you, I love you, and lowercase g, God, is for you. My friend picks up that note, and he sits back down, and he's still in rehab today because of the gift the king gave my daughter. Don't, 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 don't you tell God you've got no gift to bring. Do not tell God you will not bring your best. Because my daughter was willing to give what humble gift she had, the world was changed. And if the church would simply pick up on this thing that Kylie picked up on in three seconds, that everything I have belongs to the king, that all I have is already his, and whatever I have, that is what I will use, and it will be my best. You want to have a resounding Christmas? Use what God has given you. Don't give the king scraps this year because your scraps offend him. But he has placed the best in you. And when you give him back what's already his, he will use it to change the world. God, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for what you do. God, how many lessons have you taught me from my children? How many times have you seen something in me that was not right, that was not where it should be? Areas where I was holding on. Areas where I didn't preach my best message because I didn't like the audience's response. I repent. Just like my friend did on that night in rehab. He repented. He turned. He turned from death and he turned towards life. And so, God, we repent. We receive the correction and we receive it with open arms. And we repent. And you will get my best. Even if I don't have much to offer on that day. God, you are so gracious with us. You are so good. You are so good, God. You're so righteous and you're so kind and you're so loving. God, so many of us have seen real pain. The last few years have been hard, but you are still God and you are still good and there is still fire in us and there is still life in us and there is still breath in us and as long as there is breath, then you will get my best. I cannot wait for the day I stand face to face with Jesus and say, I played my best for you. I had no gift fit to bring the king. But I played my best for you. We love you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Come, they told